Seriously, there's been something about um, this series that, you know, Miles and I have a lot of private conversations about what the Lord's doing in our own lives, and, and I wish you could be a part of all of those, um, but I've seen this summer Miles awaken a new level of preaching this summer um, in his connection with the Lord, and I know fasting and prayer had had a lot to do with that, so I'm so thankful um, to be the speed bump in the middle of Philippians. Um, I'm really excited about that. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, I did, uh, I spent a few weekends at the lake recently just to try to get my pigment to the same color as Miles, um, and it did not work. I shed it all um, because I'm super white and pasty. Um, so I tried to be like the Italian stallion. Instead, you got a white little pony. Um, so, so here we are. Um, here we are continuing in our series in Philippians. Um, really, seriously, so thankful for Michael um, stepping up into this role today. If you don't know, some of you are like, man, he's wearing a lot of denim. Like, that's a lot of denim. And it's okay, Auburn, you can have style. Um, this, is, this is actually called a Canadian tuxedo. For those of you, look it up, Google it. Um, this is called a Canadian tuxedo. And I did that because Michael Fagan was leading this morning. Michael Fagan, I don't know, coming off of 4th of July, I don't know how you're feeling, how American you're feeling, but you were just led in worship by a Canadian. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you knew that or if that changes your opinion or how you worship after the message. I don't know how that affects you, but just so you know, Canadian tuxedo for Michael. Thank you so much. So this series has been fantastic. Personally challenged, my wife and I have grown so much in this series together and separately, and, and what God has done as a result of the month of June, prayer and fasting, mixed with what he's spoken through Philippians, has been unbelievable. And I know for a lot of the people in this room who I know personally, you can say the exact same thing. So if you have missed any of this series, please go back to our podcast. It's on the website. We're keeping the whole series on the website. And then on iTunes, Spotify, please catch the podcast because you want to be in on this every single week because it's so cool how God does this. Every summer we go through, if you haven't been around long, we go through a book of the Bible as a church. And so every single summer, it feels like we're all moving and walking together through what God is doing in his word and in us. So if you missed last week, as a quick reminder, we talked about working out salvation with fear and trembling. This does not have to do with your own effort. Yes, your effort is involved, but it is Christ in and through you working out your salvation. Because you and I, if we lose the awareness of our salvation, we lose the ability to work it out. We must see it and we must know it. And so God is asking us to have an awestruck awareness of our salvation for what Christ has done, is doing, and will do in and through us in his spirit. And so we continue this week in our walk through Philippians. We are going to be in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18. You can turn there if you haven't already. If you didn't know we're in Philippians, welcome to the party, or you're just a first-time visitor. So we are so glad that you're here. So just a little background. We do this every single week. Keep it fresh. So Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi. Paul is also in prison. The church at Philippi has been some of his biggest givers, his biggest supporters, spiritually, financially. And so they're worried that Paul being in prison is cutting the effectiveness of his ministry short. And so Paul is writing this letter to shore up that foundation between him and his financial and spiritual support base at the church 
in Philippi, you see also some interesting things that I've been finding out about Philippians. I've read this book forever. Like, seriously, like I've been following Jesus for 20 years, and every single year at some point I read through this multiple times. But now, for some reason, it's just come alive in this season. Because we'll get to this later. The Word of God is alive and active. And so what it meant in one season may be different than what it means in this season. Not that the meaning changed, but the season for you changed. And the Spirit is alive and active, communicating different things to you in different seasons through the Word. You see, the church at Philippi, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. And that Roman colony, some historians say that this was like a little Rome. That even the streets were designed after Rome. And so you are Roman citizens in this. And Paul, time and time again, has come up against Roman authorities who have asked him, stop preaching this gospel. Stop talking about this. You're coming up against our authority as the Romans, and we need you to stop. And so once again, Paul, preaching the gospel, like Paul does, is again in prison writing this letter. And so we read in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18. Paul says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Today's message is called shine. We're going with, with one word, shine, shine. Make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking for. If you know Newsboys, I mean, that's like J93.3 Atlanta back in the day. Um, so you're welcome for that. Look that up. So today's message is called shine. I don't know about you um, but for me, this is just going to be confession time. I feel like every time I step on the stage, it's just like confession booth time. Um, something about this microphone just makes you really honest. Um, and so I, I kind of every once in a while struggle with complaining. Um, I don't know, probably no one else in this room, if I had to guess. Um, I hear some, mm, it's like, yep, you don't. You are the only one. Um, and so I'll be the only one in this moment. Struggle with complaining a little bit. So as I was reading and studying this, it took about .01 seconds to pull up a scenario in my head where I recently complained, um, probably .0001 seconds. And so my wife and I, Caitlin, we were, we were meeting another couple for dinner a few weeks ago at a local establishment here in Auburn that I will not say the name of because I love it. Um, and, and they won't seat you until your whole party's there, right? And... And so we're there, and, and the other couple was a few minutes late, no big deal. That drives me crazy, but no big deal. And so we're sitting there, and I'm like, okay, they're around the corner. I, like, went and checked in. I'm like, hey, we're here. Like, can we sit down? They're like, well, not until your party is ready. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, please. Like, the table is there. Like, I see the table, and you're not going to give it to anybody else because we made a reservation for that table. So they're like, eh, it's, we'll, we'll seat you when your whole party's here. So then um, the girl in that relationship shows up, and we're like, okay, all right. So he's right behind. Like, he's parking, but it's Auburn, so parking takes forever, even in the summer. So I'm like, all right. So I walk up to the booth again. I'm like, hey, 
We got three out of four. Like 75%, if we're rounding up, that rounds up to 100, which means we should go to our table. And they're like, when your whole party's ready, sir. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, at this point, like, I'm actually hungry, and we're actually way beyond the time that we were supposed to eat dinner. So now I'm like, okay. So we wait a couple more minutes. He's still trying to find parking. God bless his soul. And so then I walk up to the booth, and I'm like, all right. In love and kindness, I need to sit down because I want to drink sweet tea, and I want your appetizer that I can't mention because you'd know where I'm talking about. So I want that. And so they're like, you know what, sir, we don't usually do this, but we'll seat you. And I was like, thank God. Like, seriously, the same table's been open the whole time. We could have sat before. So anyways, I'm struggling. Like, I am complaining straight up. Like, not outwardly. I mean, yes, I'm getting a little agitated because I'm hungry and hangry at this point. But, but Caitlin's like, chill. Like, seriously. And if you knew how many times, pastor in a small town, pastor in a small town, came out of her mouth. Like, it's slightly embarrassing. It really is. It really is. Pastor small town, pastor small town. And so I'm like, okay, okay. So we get done with our meal. It was fantastic. The food was great. The company was fantastic. Always had sweet tea in my glass. Like, it was wonderful. But then I thought to myself, I thought, man, they really, like, they really made this happen for us. So as we're walking out, I turn to the host and hostess, and I go, thank you so much. They go, we'll see you at church on Sunday. And I was like, you have literally got to be kidding me. Like, you have got to be kidding me. So that was, like, the final, like, nail in the coffin of, like, okay, Matt, keep it to yourself. Like, don't say anything. You literally don't get to complain at all anymore in public, which is probably a good thing. It's this accountability. And so as I was thinking through this message, just complaining, arguing, I was like, oh, it took .0001 seconds to think of that. And if you gave me .002 seconds, I could think of 20 other ways that I've probably griped and complained and argued somehow, some way in this last week. And so I started thinking about us collectively. I'm like, oh my goodness, as the church, how much do we struggle with this verbal complaining and arguing amongst ourselves? But then as I started to dive even deeper into this passage, it seems as though Paul is actually talking about an even deeper type of complaining. As I was studying this, it seems as though Paul is actually talking about a grumbling and arguing that is so inside, so deep in your soul that it's actually the grumbling and arguing that is aimed at God himself. Not just at each other, not just at our circumstances, but actually at God himself. And as I started to dig deeper into that, to study that more, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came over me, and I thought to myself, yes, is my, my soul grumbling and manifests itself in out loud verbal complaints to people around me about things around me. But that's just symptoms of the greater problem. The greater problem is that my soul is so bent towards sinful discontent that I would actually look at my God and Savior and aim my grumbling and complaining at him. John Piper says this. You know it's a good sermon when you quote John Piper. He says, It is harder to stop complaining, grumbling, than it is to quit drinking too much, than committing adultery, than stealing, than to stop killing. And, and, and some of you are like, that's a little intense, bro. But I, 
think about it. Like, think about it. And you will have to, you'll have to kind of sort through this on your own after this message because you can't really process a lot in these moments. And so think about, take that part with you, that my natural bent is to complain so deeply in my soul that it would be easier for me to stop committing all of these other sins than it would for me to actually stop complaining because we are so bent towards that. You see, I think there's three ingredients. As I was studying through, I think there's three ingredients to these grumblings and complaints. Three things. I think it's entitlement, pride, and fear. So entitlement, you think you deserve more out of life than you're getting, and someone should fix that, a.k.a. God. Pride, you think your life and its circumstances take precedent over others' lives and circumstances. And so when you don't get the thing that you wanted, but they get the thing that you wanted, then you complain about it. Fear, you're afraid of being left behind materially, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And so those three things really in us are what is producing, fueling this grumbling and arguing in our souls. James writes this. James 4, 1 through 3 broke out the ESV to accompany the John Piper quote. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So much of the reasons for our grumbling and arguing is because our passions are misdirected. That we pray and we ask these things. And when we don't get them, that's when we decide to grumble and argue in our souls towards God himself. But in reality, he's going, no, no, no. Like, I'm ready to pour it out on you. But if I did right now, you would misspend what I'm giving you. Because your passions are misdirected on the things that you want and not the things that I want. Thus, the gap is, the gap is broken and we go, God, I, I thought you were who you said you were. In this season, you provided, but why not in this season? I, I don't understand. You, your character is not matching up. No, it's not him. Trust me. Like, this is like the, it's not me, it's you, like conversation. This is like the eternal conversation. God is going like, it's not me, it's you. Like, like trust me, like, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the I am. Like, that's who I am. And so we just get so discontent and so bent out of shape. But what God is saying is, hey, your passions, they're misdirected. You grumble and you complain. But I've given you a mandate in this life to shine. But we can't do that if we spend all of our time grumbling and complaining. And spend our time aiming the light that Christ has given us to shine at him at all the other passions and temptations that we have. And so in this scripture, Paul is, is asking us, hey, he's telling us through Christ, hey, you will shine like stars in the sky. You will stand out if you will quit this grumbling and complaint. You see, in the church at Philippi, there was actually grumble and complaint between the members as well. And so Paul is speaking to that physical, verbal complaint, but he knows that deep down inside, that complaining and grumbling is only happening because in, inwardly, the members of that church, the members of our church, the members of the church, we all are bent 
to complain and grumble when our little worlds and our expectations are not satisfied and met. But Paul's saying, hey, the picture is so much bigger than that. The mandate is to shine. And, and church, this is where I want to encourage us to say, hey, you and I complain. Like, that's just basic, objective truth. Like, if you look at yourself and you're like, I never complain. You are a liar. Like, straight up, you're a liar. Now you're a sinner. And now you'll probably start complaining. So it's like, you lose. So we all complain at some point. We all grumble. We all struggle to be that pure and blameless that we've talked about before. But praise God that he is inside of us and he is pure and he is blameless. Therefore, it makes us pure and blameless. So there is hope in the midst of the grumbling and complaining. That even tomorrow, after you hear this message, after you sit in this a little longer on your own, there is hope that you will grow, that I will grow, that we will be sanctified more and more every day. Not that grumbling and complaint will go away, but that as we grow, it becomes less and less and further and further apart this side of eternity. And so as I was reading this, I thought, okay, Paul, you're, you are saying, hey, shine. Shine in this crooked and depraved generation, which is hard, y'all. It's hard not to be desensitized, and it's hard not to be angry, and it's hard not to want to hate one another for the political line that we've drawn in the sand, even in the church. There's so many things that we get down and out about, but what Paul is saying is that no matter what, in this crooked and depraved generation, then 2,000 years ago, 2000 years ago and now, there is hope, and it's the hope of glory that is in you and is in me. The hope is not another chance to share your opinion with somebody. The hope is not another church service. The hope is not in another dollar in your bank account. The hope is the hope of glory, which is Christ Jesus inside you and inside me. And so we are filled with hope and joy that, hey, we can shine. That even on the days where we, where we think that we fail totally at shining, that God can still work in and through us to be shown out in this dark world. And so as I was studying this, I, I kind of saw two ways not only to combat this grumbling and complaining Paul's talking about, but that will, uh, actually, will actually allow us to shine. Two points today on how do we shine. I think the first one is that we practice genuine thankfulness. Grumbling and complaining, we fight that with practicing genuine thankfulness. You see, I think ungratefulness is the fuel of unrepentance. That actually, if you are ungrateful for the life that you've been given, if you're ungrateful for what Christ has done in you and through you and for you, that you'll actually be slow to repent, if repent at all. And so having a heart that is bowed before the Lord in thankfulness, in gratefulness, will do an unbelievable work in your life. And you will start to see that the complaints that you had yesterday start to pale in comparison to the reality of Christ's love and grace today. And you start to live a life of thankfulness. You see, anyone can display a level of thankfulness. Like your unbelieving friends can display a level of thankfulness. They get a paycheck, for example, and they're thankful for the paycheck. They're thankful for the paycheck because the status quo for them didn't change and their lifestyle can stay here. 
Whereas the believer gets the paycheck, and they're not just thank- thankful for the thing that they receive, but they're thankful for the king who gave it to them. And so as people who follow Jesus, we're not just thankful when our status quo can remain the same materially. We're thankful because God would even give us the opportunity to have the clothes on our back. And you're thinking, that's so simple. When's the last time you thank God for the shirt that you were wearing? I'm I'm serious. There There was a night in the prayer and fasting month. It was two nights before it was over. The last week of prayer and fasting, I drank water only because I felt like the Lord really wanted to speak something to me. And I don't say that to be impressive. It's not impressive. It was terrible. Literally, it was awful. But God, the whole week, I'm like, when is the breakthrough coming? Because this is just awful, and I really would just rather eat. And then the night before I broke the fast, there was this breakthrough where Caitlin had gone out to dinner with some friends, and it was just me. And God said, just start praying. Just open the word and start praying. So I opened the Philippians and start praying. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness started pouring out of my mouth. And it felt like my skin was crawling. I just wanted to jump out of my skin because I was so thankful for the very breath that God had given me because he had purged me of everything else. And so I tell you that to say, when is the last time you thank God for the shirt on your back? Let alone, when is the last time you thank God that Jesus Christ actually made a way at all for us to come to God the Father and be made right? When is the last time you said thank you for that? If we would be a people who humbly bend our hearts and physically bend ourselves to the ground to thank God for who he is and what he's done, y'all, you would not even believe how much we would stand out in this world. It would take a day for people to be like, huh, you're different. Because all there is is complaint and grumble. And Paul's saying, if you get rid of that and you live this pure and blameless life we're talking about, you will shine like stars. Thankfulness is the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit grows. I mean, you cannot grow peace, joy, love, patience, gentleness, forgiveness, self-control, kindness. You cannot grow those things in soil that is not thankful soil. It is an impossibility. You see, as we've been talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, looking more like Christ today more than yesterday is the goal. But you can only look like Christ more today when he is your joy and not your job. You, you and I cannot look more like Christ, thus quitting this arguing, complaining, and, and becoming holy because he is holy, unless Christ is our delight and he is our joy. And only then will thankfulness really take root and you live a life that is free of grumbling and complaining. And so the first step in shining is to practice genuine thankfulness. The second is this, to prioritize intentional study. Some of you are like, oh, gosh, here's the Bible study point. No, it's not, but it is. Um, So Paul says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. John 1.1, if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this. If not, this is such a cool verse. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Notice the W is capitalized. That is because 
what is being written here is that Jesus was the Word. Jesus is the Word. Capital W. Jesus is the Word personified. We cannot be light in the darkness if we don't have the power to shine. And how will you have the power to shine if you're not connected to the Word, capital W, and little w? How will you have that power? John goes on in verses 2 through 4. He says, he, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, Jesus, the word, is the light of all mankind. So how could you be disconnected from the word of God and even attempt to be an example of Christ in a darkness? You cannot. It is a literal, spiritual, physical impossibility to be separated from the word and still try to be an example of Christ. That is your effort. That is not Christ in you if you are separate from the word. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. You see, every single church that Paul was a part of planting, every single place that he preached, this applies to that. He was so thankful that you accepted it not as a human word. But as it really is, is the word of God. I know so many of us in this world struggle with the authorship of scripture. We struggle to believe, well, man wrote it. No, man did not write it. God spoke through man as man had a pen. And so this is the very word of God. Paul here is saying, this is not a human word. Do not be confused. This is not a human word. This is God's word. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus himself prayed that. The authority to shine, the authority to shine in darkness and, and take over darkness for light is in the word. It's so funny when you and I try to shine apart from the word because we are so bent on making the word fit our views and our opinions. And we, we try to hold the word below us and step on it and say, no, I'm going to inform you of what I believe. And I'll do a little eisegesis. That means I'm going to take some scriptures out of this and make it what I want it. And I'm going to make it sound like my opinion. But this is the truth. Your opinion and your thoughts and your feelings aren't always the truth. Hate to break it to you. Myself and everyone included, like our thoughts and our feelings, how, however real sometimes they feel, may not always be true. Welcome to Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We will have community groups in the fall about it. See Carolyn Figner. So just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. And so we must need the word of God to speak truth and to inform us. Instead of it being like this, it must be like this. This must come down and inform us And Paul is saying, you can only shine as you hold firmly to the word of life. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And obey it. Obedience isn't cliche, it's required. Jesus himself has prayed, God, let them know the truth. Your word is truth. And better are they who obey it who do the very things that I'm asking them 
to do. Only when you start obeying the word, only when you start having a thankfulness genuinely down in your soul will you acknowledge the expensive yet free grace of God. Hear me on this. You're like, no, grace is free, absolutely, but it costs Jesus everything. So just because it didn't cost you everything doesn't mean that it's cheap or free. Does that make sense? Like, it is free to you. It is. Come one, come all. The grace of Christ is available. It cost him everything. And then when he resurrected, when he took his body up again, he is now seated at the right hand of God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So in that moment, it costs him everything. And now he has it all back. Because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. We do not believe in cheap grace. It is real and it costs Christ everything and it is freely given. So come one, come all. And you only know about this grace in his word. And it is all in the, pla- in the pages from the front cover to the back cover. It is not just reserved for the New Testament. It is all in the Old Testament as well. And so you need to cling to this with a thankful heart. If you approach this with a thankful heart, a humbled soul, you will learn more than you could have ever imagined. And every single season of your life, you will learn something new, even from the same verse. I mean, it's crazy, y'all. Like, it's crazy what can happen when you cling to this with a humble heart. You see, if you love Jesus, but you don't love his word, you don't actually love Jesus. Because Jesus is the word. So you can't make that claim and be confident in following Jesus if you don't love his word. And so the hope and the prayer is that you would love his word. And so we practice genuine thankfulness, not fake thankfulness. We put genuine in there to really delineate from any other kind of thankfulness, the real kind. And if you're not there, you're not there. Pray that you would get there. Ask the Lord to take you to a place of genuine thankfulness. You cannot fake your way into a thankful posture before the Lord. Start thanking him. I'm serious. I started walking through my house thanking him for every single thing that was in that house. Thanking him for every single person by name in my life. And if you start going down that list, you won't be able to stop. Because there's so much to be thankful for. And then you get to the grace of God. Eternity won't cap the amount of thankfulness available for the grace of God. And so we practice genuine thankfulness. And then we prioritize intentional study of God's word. Because only, we only shine when we hold firmly to the word of life. You see, I learned a lot about stars also. I did a little research, and I just want to have like a moment of kind of like nerdy Googleness. So I don't know how much you know about stars, but as Paul is saying this, you know, shine like stars and like, oh, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. And I was like, no, I really do like wonder, like, what are you? Like, as a star, what are you? So I looked up some definitions and then some facts. So real quick. Stars are huge spheres which produce energy by means of nuclear fusion reactions. That's not like twinkle, twinkle, little star. It's like twinkle, twinkle, blow up your planet. Like, I mean, that's crazy. 
That's like nuts. So in the Milky Way galaxy alone, that would be the galaxy which we call home, if you didn't know that. It's actually a candy bar, but it's also our galaxy. So in the Milky Way alone, there are between 100 and 400 billion stars. That's plus or minus 300 billion. I guess you're allowed to be that wrong in space. Um, so 100, 100 or 400, somewhere between their billion stars. This is crazy. Our sun is considered on an average size star. Our sun, like the thing that has been burning me for the last two weeks, is so hot everywhere I go and I just want to stop sweating. Our sun is considered an average size star. Average. There are smaller stars, but get this. There are stars in the universe that are 100 times the size of our star. So that little star, as a kid, when you looked up, and you said, twinkle, twinkle, little star, is 100 times bigger than our sun and is being produced by nuclear fusion reactions. So let's just put that in perspective. God put every single one of those stars in the sky, all trillions of them. Guess what? I went a little further, a little further, like you could go further. It's space, so it's like there's always job security for those guys. So literally, I, I went a little further. They literally took a recent picture, and they believe that there's actually over 5 trillion galaxies observable in the observable universe, whatever that means, the observable universe, 5 trillion galaxies. Do the math. I can't. 100 plus or minus 300 billion stars in one galaxy, and there's 5 trillion galaxies. How small do you feel? Yet God knows every single one of those stars by name, put them right there, and has asked you to shine has asked me to shine. So how much more important than five trillion stars are we to shine in a broken and fallen world? That is amazing if you didn't know. If you're not going, wow, I'm in awe of God, I'm praying for you, because that is crazy. And what's as crazy as five trillion stars shining is the song of a nine-year-old. So I want to invite James Pate up here real quick. Can you give James a big welcome to the stage? Come on. So if you don't know them, the, the Pates uh, have been a part of our church for a while. Now Rob is one of our elders here at Auburn Community Church. And Dana's a teacher in the area. They have a trillion kids. And... <laughs> And they all are so talented in their own rights. But James and I have actually had the opportunity to hang out for the last couple of years learning guitar and learning how to sing worship songs. And right after they moved to Auburn, right, James wrote this song. I promise you this wasn't planned until like this week when, when God was like, hey, he has a song. This song is actually called Shine. Seriously, and it's not the Newsboys one. Like, it's better. Um, and his song's called Shine. You see, actually, a year ago today, a year ago today, James started struggling with seizures. And it was this unknown, crazy thing to him and his family. Obviously, so scary for him. But God has continued to meet them over and over again each night that they're worried about another one happening. And part of that has been the music that God's given 
James for his family. And when they moved to Auburn, James wrote this song called Shine, and I believe he wrote it for this moment. And so it's just as in awe as we are of five trillion stars, how about can we be in awe of God speaking to the heart of then a seven-year-old, seven-year-old, a seven-year-old to write this song? James, take it away. Come on, come on. Woo! Good job, buddy. Good job. Come on. Wow. 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 Incredible. Incredible. You can stay standing. We can stay standing. That worked out perfectly. How in awe of the God who created the universe and five trillion stars and the song of a seven-year-old to worship him should we be? How thankful for his grace. How thankful for his kindness. You and I have nothing to complain about. Just in case you were wondering at the end of the sermon. 
You have nothing. To, I'm serious. I'm talking about the worst of the worst situations. You can even be thankful in the middle of that and praise God. That's what you were created to do. That's why difficult situations exist in our lives. Not so that we would grumble and complain, but so that we would shine a light on Christ. That's why those exist. And so in the difficult situation that you're in, in the hard moments, in the hard seasons that don't seem like they're ever going to end, be thankful, cling to the word. Then you will shine like stars in a crooked and twisted generation that they don't even know they're crooked and twisted. That's how messed up it is. But they will know and they will turn to love and grace everlasting when the people, when the children of God stand up and shine the light of salvation in this world. And so we are filled with hope. We're filled with joy. We're filled with peace that God has made the way to himself through Jesus and therefore we can know him and we can shine. And we don't have to look back on our sin and our shame from the past because in Jesus Christ we are pure and blameless. And so we follow him all out. We give him everything that we have. We leave nothing behind. We run the race to get the prize. The prize is his presence. And so we run and we don't look back and we shine in the darkness so that Christ is glorified. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to shine, that you are in us, that your kindness, that your love, that your grace is overflowing in us. We're thankful. We're so thankful for who you are, for what you've done on our behalf. If you had done, not done another thing, it would have been enough. But yet you continue to sustain our breath every single moment of every single day. You pour out provision on us materially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, every single moment of every single day. You even give breath to people who don't care that you exist. That is how good you are. And so, Father, in that spirit, in your spirit, we shine. Because your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And Jesus is the word. And so, Father, we worship you. We give you thanks. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.